You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. It is officially OTA season. We had the spring league meetings. And uh, one of the things stemming from the spring meetings, outside of this whole Dan Snyder business, and we're not going to get into that today, let's get into something fun. What to do about the Pro Bowl, right? You know, the NBA has their three-point contest, dunk contest, and those have had to be changed and tweaked over the years. Anything to get these guys to compete a little bit more. But uh, the Pro Bowl, the the game is devolved into basically two-hand touch. Nobody wants to get hurt. What do you do? I mean, Alex, come on, man. It's it's the Pro Bowl. Is it is this necessary? Do we have to keep playing a game, or can we do something different? Let's dissolve the game for the best players. I mean, they could care less. I mean, most of them don't even show up because it doesn't matter to them anymore. So why not create a game for the younger players? Why not have guys like who are excelling as rookies or second-year players. Why not do the same thing like the NBA does? Rookies against second-year players. I think that would be fun. I mean, most of these guys don't get a sniff of the Pro Bowl. So why not just promote the game, the younger stars, the up-and-coming players who had a good year or a couple of good years, and just let them play? I think it will be fun. Most of the guys, if they're not injured, if they're not hurt, the young guys will show up. I almost guarantee it. A la the NBA, where they have their game where like it's like uh, year two players versus the rookies or guys that might even be playing in the G League, right? So that would be a, a fun thing to do. But I think you still have to, the guys that get voted in should be, you know, some sort of celebration, whether it's just in, you know, an, an evening, uh, just a huge party. Now, again, I don't know what kind of TV value you're going to get from this, but just to bring them all together, you know, you can bring your families, maybe, you know, put it back in Hawaii, just have a, a big NFL gathering, if you would. From what, you know, you've heard in the past, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people look forward to is like when Peyton Manning would go over there, just kind of hosting, kind of hosting all the great players around the pool and they would just like talk about football and things again that's more so for the players not so much for the fans my thought was and if you're of a certain age you might even remember this but back in the middle to late 70s abc used to have a series called battle of the network stars and every network, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, they're serious actors from the dramas, the comedy actors. So they would form teams and they'd put them through like these wild, stupid events. Then again, it's not so much the competition of it, but just the fact where you see these guys, they're doing things outside of their comfort zone. And maybe it would produce some laughs and, you know, people would see them be more like normal human beings and struggling with different things that, you know, that they don't normally struggle with as far as 
as being a professional athlete. So that was, was my thinking. I think Alex, I think right on it there to get the young players involved, promote those guys, up and coming stars, and kind of, you know, again, develop them, get them ready for the next season as far as fans seeing them and trying to focus on them. But again, for the older dudes, again, you can't really do anything serious. Nobody wants to get hurt at this event. Just celebrate them, do something fun, do something crazy, and some potential stars, you know, some comedic relief, if you would, at the end of the long, hard football season. I also think, like, the NFL is trying really hard to promote international NFL games in London, mostly. I think they should do it at the end of the season. I think Hawaii and Orlando should be abandoned. Why not go to, like, you know, a warmer place or something? Why not go to, like, Portugal or Spain or something Warmer like than Hawaii? <laughs> no, I mean in Europe. Somewhere where it's really You're not going to go to right? London in February, Lou. All right? You're not going to attract the nope. crowd there. But if you're going to... Well, Europe in general at that time of year is going to be pretty... I don't know where it's going to be really warm. Yeah, maybe somewhere in the Mediterranean. Or I'm sure the players would love to go to like Monaco or somewhere like that. Spain, Portugal, the, the south of France. Those places would be nice out there for the younger folks, for the younger players. I also think like the skills competition, Lou, that's always been fun. You know, precision passing wide receivers catching passes from the jugs machine, the dodgeball. I mean, that always brings a lot of attention, and it's even more fun than the game. And I think they should keep it. But I would go a step further. I wouldn't want the quarterbacks to do precision passing. I would take the running backs and the wide receivers and maybe some defensive linemen, you know, who who can throw a pass, you know. Let's make it fun. Let's see how good, like, Aaron Donald is throwing at the targets or some talented, you know, running backs or wide receivers. I want to see, like, Tom Brady or Justin Herbert catching passes from the jugs machine. They're athletes, Lou. I want to see that, you know. Can they do it? Can they catch passes? How, how many? What they can do? I think that would be fun just to see them not being in their normal state. And I think they could bring it out of them in the skills competition as well. Right, and that, you know, I guess you, you can split it up by position groups, right? Instead, And then like, they can compete against one another. Because obviously, you know, if you're going to have a throwing competition, I would hope the quarterbacks would win. But you have them compete against each other, maybe the defensive backs, you know, within themselves and uh, the linemen, you know, against themselves, linebacker, you know, however you want to do it. But yeah, I, I get that. Goes along the lines, like I said, it, you know, I guess initially was like the old battle for the network stars is that, yeah, they're all doing things out of their comfort zone and it can be funny it can be entertaining and then you could find you know some people that are like much more skilled at something other than what they normally do so yeah that would be pretty cool and I think uh, we're definitely going to see a change that's for sure because I don't think they can go on with the sham of a game on Sunday because, you know, people will tune in to a certain point just because they're fans of the NFL, but also at a certain point it just becomes, you know, what are we doing? Why are we watching this? Because they, if they don't care, why should we? All right. Well, let's go on to, we'll continue our series of uh, breaking down the divisions of this past year's draft. Uh, we're going to go north. 
We've spoken a lot about the Ravens draft over the last several episodes, just when we're talking superlatives. Yeah, I guess we can go over it again. But I just overall, I just think, again, they did a masterful job. They found value, I think, at pretty much every single pick. Their top guys certainly are going to have a chance to play right away. Uh, obviously, David Ajabo, you know, because of injury, may not. But Hamilton's probably going to play right away. Linderbaum might be a starter from day one. Travis Jones on the nose. You've got Faele from Minnesota, also an offensive lineman. Uh, Armour Davis, the corner from Alabama. The tight ends, you know, and obviously they've got Andrews, but uh, Kolar and Likely. But uh, and we've hit that one pretty hard, and I, our opinions are pretty similar on this, right? I mean, was there something else that, that was different here, Alex? No, they get an A, and we haven't given out grades to teams, but they get like an A+, plus because they got the best safety in the draft by far in Kyle Hamilton. They got the best interior lineman in Tyler Linderbaum. I've gushed about Charlie Kolar. I think they did a masterful job getting Demarion Williams, a cornerback out of Houston, who I think is very underrated. I think he projects as a nickel corner in the NFL. The Ravens don't do anything crazy. They kind of sit back. When they see something pounce their way, they, they trade up, but usually they just kind of stay put and the best player falls to them and just shows you whoever is patient in the draft and doesn't panic, it always pays off. Every year the Ravens find themselves in this position where it's like we wonder why and how did all these good players fall to well, six fourth-round picks didn't hurt either. So, And again, that came from maneuvering and manipulating things, and that, you know, God bless them. All right, so now we go to the Bengals. They did most of their damage for their offensive line in free agency. So that was a huge area that they had to address, and they did. So they brought their free agents. As far as the... Um, Draft, it looks like obviously defensive backfield was was a, a strong consideration, and I think their first two picks are home runs. These guys, again, may be starters day one. Dax Hill from Michigan is a safety, you know, nickel. I mean, very useful chess piece. You can put him wherever you want in the defensive backfield. I, I love this guy coming in, you know, from the get-go. Thought he, he'd be a great pick, and they falls to them at 31. And then Cam Taylor Britt has a real chance to be a, a very tough corner in this league. So I would say right at the top of the draft, they did a great job. And these guys, like I said, would probably be starters from day one. Yeah, they needed to do some upgrades on in the defensive backfield because of, uh, you know, that was their weakness. I already mentioned last week that I was a big fun fan of uh, Jeffrey Gunner, Gunter, um, edge rusher from Coastal Carolina in the seventh round. I think he's a guy that can stick because... You know, he's quick and can get to the quarterback. He's disruptive and also has experience dropping into coverage out of the three-point stance. So I, I love those versatile edge rushers. So Gunters is one of my favorite guys out there on day three. So I think the Bengals did uh, well considering where they picked. But it's always, um, it'll, be, it'll be very tough for them to repeat what they did last year because they came out of nowhere. Now... People are going to be gunning for them because, hey, they went to the Super Bowl. All right. So next we, we go to the Browns. Obviously, you know, they gave up, I guess, their, their top draft capital for a certain quarterback. And Deshaun Watson is is on their team for the time being and uh, will be for, you know, going forward. But I don't know if he's going to play the, the early part of the season. That still remains to be seen but you know so they end up with uh, three third round picks, a couple fours, fifth, sixth, you know, and so forth. 
So they didn't obviously weren't around on day one or two. I'm sorry, in day one and then the early part of day two. But here we are in the third round. And I know you like this guy a lot in David Bell, the wide receiver from Purdue. And obviously they are uh, really decimated at that position. He's going to have a chance to come in and maybe contribute right away. You know, Amari Cooper comes in, but everybody else is gone. You know, Jarvis Landry's gone, OBJ's gone, you know, and so forth. So Bell's going to have a great opportunity there. Uh, I thought Winfrey from Oklahoma, interior defensive lineman, was a pretty good pick. Uh, Jerome Ford, now obviously they're pretty stacked in the in the backfield, but he may get a chance, you know, special teams-wise, and then maybe, you know, work, work him in in the passing game a little bit. But uh, the kicker, this is might be the, the underrated pick of all in the fourth round, Cade York from LSU. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a different type of draft for the Browns just because of where they were picking. But they did, I thought, got, got some value uh, here and there. And obviously in the third round with Emerson and Wright, I thought those were, those were good picks as well. But, uh, but anyway, they, they spent most of their capital for their quarterback. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the two best picks were David Bell, the wide receiver from Purdue at the end of the third round, and, and Winfrey, a defensive tackle from Oklahoma. I mean, Bell is going to remind you of Jarvis Landry a bit just because he's got excellent hands, he's a good route runner, and he makes a lot of catches in those contested situations. So he's going to be Deshaun Watson's best friend, I think, on third downs, over the middle, just you know, getting open on those third and five, third and seven plays. I think he's going to be a chain mover. Um, Winfrey is just, you know, he flashes good power. He flashes violent hands. He's a disruptive run defender. I think Winfrey was kind of an underrated guy. I think should have gone a little bit higher because he had a strong week at the Senior Bowl, from what I remember, based on the the tape and the film that I watched from my home because I didn't attend that week. So I think uh, the Browns did... I think better than the Bengals, considering that they didn't have a first or a second round pick. But they had a lot of picks in the four, in the third, fourth round, and you know, on day three as a whole. And then finally, we got the Steelers from the AFC North. Uh, a lot of what was said about the Ravens, you can say about the Steelers, just the volume wasn't there. They didn't have nearly the number of picks. But again, it's all going to come down to that first round pick and Kenny Pickett. Is he going to be... The franchise quarterback moving forward, uh, you know, the, Mike Tomlin has come out and said that he will compete for the starting job. You got Mitch Trubisky sitting there as well. Uh, let's see what happens there. Uh, George Pickens, I thought, was a great pick in the second round. And, you know, we've said it ad nauseum. Uh, and again, it, you can't say it enough, is how good the Steelers do with wide receivers in the draft. Well, other positions as well. But it just seems like year after year, they find gems in the later rounds. Uh, also in the fourth round, Calvin Austin the third, Smaller player, return guy, but, you know, obviously is going to get a, a great shot to play, um, you know, first, second, third down. Whatever, whatever it takes, they'll get him on the field because he's just dynamic with the ball in his hands. Uh, Leal, the defensive end from uh, from Texas A&M, they always seem to find guys that fit their scheme and will play well in their particular scheme. I don't know how, uh, what kind of value the rest of the teams in the NFL had on Leal, but rest assured that the Steelers will have a plan for this kid and he's going to play. 
Last week, we talked about some of my favorite picks. Connor Hayward, again, falls to them in the sixth round. Not that he was you know, a dynamic player, but I just think he has such a, a unique skill set and can do so many different things from uh, a kick returner to a running back to fullback to an H-back to tight end that he, he's going to get on the field. I mean, he's going to be probably you know all phases of special teams, but I think... It, as they evolve the offense, he's going to become a bigger part and be kind of that uh, Swiss Army knife that they can move around and use as a chess piece on the offensive side. So again, the Steelers, you know, again on paper, look like they did a great job. You know, my favorite pick was the Texas A&M defensive lineman, DeMarvin Leal, just because coming into the year, he was projected by many to be like a top ten, top fifteen pick. Didn't live up to the billing and. The Steelers get him here in the third round. I'm almost certain that he's going to play five technique for them. I think he's going to bulk up, you know, get a little bit bigger, maybe gain about five pounds, and um, and he's going to be at about 290. I just think, you know, he shows the ability to win with speed to power, and I think he has a quick get-off. And, again, the Steelers, the way they develop wide receivers, they also can develop those defensive linemen and those edge rushers. They seem to have a type, and I think Leal is, is going to fit that. But this draft is going to be tied to Kenny Pickett because they drafted him in the first round to replace Big Ben. You know, Trubisky is obviously there, and he's probably going to be the starter. But the thought process is, hey, Kenny Pickett is the future. I think he's more of a backup quarterback, but, you know, I guess time will tell. I mean, when a guy kind of... Again, when a guy kind of emerges as a senior, you know, when he's a 23-year-old senior and all of a sudden he has this lights out, you know, season and before that he wasn't the same player that he was before, I just those are just red flags to me, you know? It, it really is. And I'm just not a fan of Kenny Pickett. I, I give him praise for having such a fantastic senior year and I know he's got plenty of people in his corner and we've had some people on this show that kind of bang the table for Kenny Pickett but I don't think he's the future for Pittsburgh at all all right well let's move on to the NFC North uh the Bears well actually first up just as a division just the sheer volume of picks I think is as great as any other division in in the league, and probably more so as far as just the total number of picks. Uh, now the Bears, obviously, again they they spent some draft capital last year to move up uh, to get their quarterback Fields. Uh, so again, they're sitting there at round two, but I think they did really well at the top. Again, defensive backs. Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. So I think those two guys are going to come in and play right away. Now, in the third round, Vellis Jones, where again, this was one of the guys that I'm looking at, and he's a little bit older, transfer from USC. You know, is he where, is the ceiling already there? I don't know. The whole idea here was try to get some more weapons for Justin Fields. I don't know that they really did that, but again, this is Ryan Poles' first draft. Uh, he's going to build his team his way, so let's see how this plays out. I mean, again, a lot of volume here, a lot of guys, not a lot of big names, but like I said, right at the top, I think those two uh, defensive backs are going to get a lot of run this season. Well, the Bears stunk it up last year, especially in the secondary. I think 
the stat that I have in front of me is the Bears allowed 31 passing touchdowns last season. That was tied for second most allowed in French franchise history. I mean, that says a lot. You know, obviously they needed a corner opposite of Jalen Johnson because Johnson has developed into a, a pretty good one. A couple of years back, they drafted him out of Utah in the second round. But I think my favorite pick is Dominique Robinson, edge rusher from Miami of Ohio. I just think this kid, I mean, he flashes on tape. He has that burst. He has that bend around the edge. He is raw, but from an athleticism standpoint, from quickness standpoint, you have something to work with. And this kid could be a gem, like in the fifth round. If the Bears are patient with him and they can develop him, I think he can turn out to be a pretty good player. But I don't think that the Bears did enough for their quarterback, Lou. I just, I think that Justin Fields deserves better. And, you know, you improved your defense. You know, you spend a couple of picks on offensive linemen late. But I just, I still think that this team is going to be the worst team in this division. And I just think you needed to do more in order to help Justin Fields. And I wish that they would have spent, you know, a second round pick on a wide receiver. And Vellis Jones, I think he's going to be more of a of a returner. I just don't think he is that type of guy that's just going to be, a, you know, a difference maker, a wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. Yeah, a lot of holes here. You know, you can you never go into a draft thinking you're going to fix everything. Uh, they're down. They were down a first round pick, so that factors into the whole thing. Uh, yeah, you feel bad for Justin Fields, but again, they've got to look at the team as a as a whole, and perhaps just that defensive backfield, like you said, as bad as they were, they needed to bolster that before they could go out and uh, and get their wide receivers. So time will tell. Let's see. Uh, Detroit had a, a kind of an eventful first round. Uh, you know, we we talked about it on the show. Everybody talked about it. What was going to happen at the top of the draft? And you thought, you know, they were going to be staring at all these players and not staring at Aiden Hutchinson, and he falls in their lap. So, I mean, that was a win right off the bat, you would think, for the Lions, the where they were. And then they got aggressive, and they came up to get the wide receiver that they wanted. This was very, the biggest shocker to me of the entire draft was that Detroit came up to get Jamison Williams. And then the other part that made it even a bigger shocker was it was with, uh, you know, division foe Minnesota Vikings that they made the trade with. And Minnesota moves all the way down to 32. And, you know, did they get enough in return? I don't know. But it just seemed like, wow, this was a really bold move by Detroit. Love to see that. Josh Paschal, we talked about him and we both like him out of Kentucky. Kirby Joseph, the safety from from Illinois, another great players that are going to have a chance to compete right away. I've talked about it in previous episodes. James Houston, I really like him from Jackson State. Uh, they got him in the sixth round. So again, we'll be seeing these guys on hard knocks for the Lions this summer. So uh, I'll be very interested to see that, especially with that coaching staff and uh, just the character, some of the characters on that team, uh, just to see how they kind of shine in front of the cameras. But uh, as far as those players go from this draft i mean obviously you know right at the top you'd think you'd have to say they they knocked it out of the park yeah i give the lines an a minus i just think that it, once again in second year at the helm for the gm who came from the rams he's been doing a masterful job i think just filling up that roster a little bit i've gushed about some of the players on this 
some of the players that they've picked up before. So I want to mention a couple of guys that I haven't talked about. Let's talk about Kirby Joseph. I mean, the safety out of Illinois. He's got good range. He's a very good run defender. He also understands those route concepts. I think last year he had like five interceptions. So I think they're getting a player that, you know, he can also help on special teams as well. I think they're getting an underrated safety here. And I always like these undersized linebackers. I always root for them. They always fall in the draft. But this kid has speed. This guy's a former safety. It's Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has, you know, become a powerhouse on defense the last couple of years. I didn't think I would mention this. Um, usually they were known for their offense, but now, you know, the defense has been carrying the day. He's instinctive. He's rangy in coverage. I think he's going to help big time on special teams. And I always root for these guys that, you know, you think they're small, but they just carve out a niche uh, in the NFL for eight to 10 years. So, and you talked about James Houston, who you're a big fan of and could never have enough edge rushers there. So I think the Lions are just, you know, they're getting better by the minute, and I think actually they'll win more games than the Chicago Bears next year. Typically don't hear a lot of Big 12 and defense, right? But, I mean, if you look sneakily over the last few years, like you said, Oklahoma State, but some of these other teams in the Big 12 have been contributing some defensive players in the draft. The scores of those games, that's the one thing that I've noticed, have, have not been like basketball scores like every single week, every single game. You still have a few during the course of the year, but I don't know if it's become more of a defensive league or just the offensive. The offensive have, have quieted down. But uh, anyway, yeah, you typically don't hear Big Twelve in defense. So the Packers now, which again, I mean, every you know, the conversation was before the draft was okay. Well, one of those first round picks, they're going to have to take a wide receiver. And then you had the other school of thought where the Packers don't take wide receivers in the first round. And which way was it going to go? And of course, it went the way that the Packers normally go: is that no, we are not going to reach for a receiver in the first round. We're going to wait till rounds two, three, four, and see what we can find. And I thought they did really well with the two defensive players from Georgia. I don't know that they could have done much better at 22 and 28. Um, You know, Jermaine Johnson was sitting there and you'd think, well, maybe, you know, edge rusher. But they go with Quay Walker, you know, different type of player. Devontae Wyatt, obviously a huge dude, plug up the middle of the defense. So those two guys, I think, are going to play a lot right away. Christian Watson, a lot's on his shoulders because... He may not be the best developed guy, but without a number one receiver in Green Bay, a lot of it's going to get thrust on him just because he happens to be the guy they picked. So hopefully that doesn't overwhelm him too much and he's allowed to develop Romeo Dubs. We talked about these guys in previous episodes, but again, you know, another big receiver that's going to get a chance to play right away, even though he's a fourth round pick. So, you know, right at the top, uh, I mentioned the story about Tariq Carpenter, you know, previous episodes as well. I thought he was a nice pick there in, in round seven. So I thought Green Bay did, did what Green Bay does. And that's, you know, usually a good thing. And then they'll develop these guys and they become great players. Well, even though they didn't pick a wide receiver in the first round, they addressed that position three times in the draft with Christian right. Watson, yeah. Romeo Dobbs, and Samari Touré. In the seventh round, my favorite pick of theirs was Romeo Dobbs. And, you know, I gushed about him last week. And I also want to give some pub about uh, 
from this player. Sean Ryan, he played left tackle at UCLA. I think he's more of a guard at the next level, but I think he could play right tackle as well. He's a natural knee bender, aggressive run blocker, and the Packers always seem to find those offensive linemen in the draft, whether it's you know late day two or in day three. They always seem to be able to have an eye for these guys, and I just think he has the versatility to play different spots out there, whether it's right tackle or a guard spot. So I wanted to give a shout-out to an offensive lineman we usually talk about other positions and I think the Packers did well with the UCLA offensive lineman in the third round that's right big men balling baby uh Minnesota Vikings uh talked a little bit about them in the in the trade with Detroit which again is is, I don't want to say is completely strange or out of bounds but here you've got another brand new GM in his first draft so that's going to maybe factor into this. You didn't really know, you know, you can't get a feel for a guy until, you know, a few drafts under his belt. But, you know, they do make the trade down, add some additional picks. Um, they address the defensive backfield right off the top with Lewis Seen from Georgia, Andrew Booth from Clemson, who, again, I mean, these are two guys that were being talked about at the tops of their respective you know positions now. Now, when I say the top, like within the the top five or top four for for each guy, so you'd say, hey, they got some pretty decent value for those defensive backs. Um, I'll let you talk about the rest the rest of the draft, as I'm not that familiar with really any of the other names. Jalen Naylor, I guess the wide receiver in the sixth round from Michigan State. You know, great athlete. I thought you know that that was a good pick, but again, they they're pretty stacked at the receiver position. But yeah, it was just a kind of a weird draft for Minnesota. Just it started with that trade and then just, you know, where it went after the first two picks. I think Ty Chandler, uh, the running back from North Carolina, is it was a pretty good pick. Obviously, they've you know, they've got their running back in Dalvin Cook here, but I think Chandler could be that backup there in Minnesota. And the reason why I like him is because he's a hands catcher. He's a good receiver. And he does pretty well in pass pro as well. So uh, he's a guy that transferred from Tennessee, played his last year at North Carolina, had some big games in the backfield with Sam Howell there, and um, put up some big numbers, especially like in the second half of the year. So I think Ty Chandler was was a pretty good pick in the fifth round. And I'm a big fan of Andrew Booth. I, I just think the Clemson corner fail, fell because... There were some injury concerns in the pre-draft process. But overall, I think, you know, the Vikings in the previous years have been drafting cornerbacks over and over again. And they've missed on a lot of them. I think Booth can be a potential steal here in the second round. Because if it wasn't for injuries, he would have been picked in the first round. He's a good athlete. He's got good ball skills. He's got good instincts. Uh, You know, Clemson corners have done well in the past. In recent memory, I think Booth is is the next in line in that regard. Well, like I said, new regime there, new uh, new coaching staff, new GM. I mean, this is going to be a I don't want to say a completely new look Vikings, but you know, with an offensive staff, they really didn't go offense till much later in the draft. They did take guard, you know, Ed Ingram from LSU in the second round, but really, as far as the skill positions go, uh, didn't go until you know later in the draft. But like I said, I mean, they've got great skill positions there. So at Minnesota, obviously the receivers, running back, and so forth. So uh, let's see what happens with them. Uh, okay, well, before we get out of here, uh, and you know, we we. 
we don't want to get political or whatever, but, you know, Colin Kaepernick finally, after five years of, I guess, you know, call it what you will, blackballed uh, from the National Football League, gets a, gets a workout, a real workout with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, earlier in the offseason, uh, Mark Davis had been quoted and was quoted even a couple of years ago that, hey, we'd be more than willing that if his coaches, GM, whatever, wanted to bring him in, we'd love to give him an opportunity. We would not shy away from it. And uh, much in the way that his father, Al, was very, very much a, uh, ahead of the curve, hired the first black coach, hired the first you know, woman executive, uh, you know, first Latino American coach. So, I mean, he always about giving people opportunities. So hopefully this is a little bit more than that. I think there's a real good chance that they bring him in and sign him. I mean, they only have Stidham and Mullins there as backups for Derek Carr. Um, it looks now again, it was a previous coaching staff, but you know they had Mariota in there as a as a backup, which you'd have to say a similar skill set in Mariota and Kaepernick. But again, we haven't seen Colin in five years. We don't know. Can he still run the way he used to? Because that was really his superpower when he played for San Francisco. Um, so interesting. I mean, it just, it just seems that, you know, the NFL will draw a line as far as just on a whole at certain things of giving people a second and third opportunity Deshaun Watson, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Ray Rice, uh, Kareem Hunt. But if you like, but if you like, uh, do something that like messes with our pocketbook or is perceived that way, uh, you, you're you're out of the game. So here we are, Alex. What do you think? Do you think the Raiders actually get, this is a real thing? I think it's a real thing. They're giving him a chance, but Lou, he's 34 years old. He hasn't played any game in five years. He was cut by San Francisco on March 6th of 2017. It's been a while. I mean, he's. I get it. I mean, he was he was a starting quarterback before. He posted a record of twenty eight and thirty as a starter. He began his career on fire there with a couple of deep playoff runs, but he struggled with the Forty ers the final two seasons, and he he's never been the most accurate guy. And I just think in that system with Josh McDaniels, you need to be more accurate than that. And Kaepernick had his completion percentage was below sixty percent. Even though he kept his interception numbers down and, you know, he was more of a runner, but I don't think he has that running ability anymore. I command, you know, the former Patriot GM, former Patriot offensive coordinator for doing this, for doing their due diligence, but I'm skeptical. I I don't think he gets this crack. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he got this opportunity to work out. Sounds like it went well based on what was quoted out there on Twitter. The door is open, and he impressed. But I just doubt that they're going to bring him in when it when it's all said and done. I I wish him luck, but I think the NFL is over for Colin Kaepernick. See, I think I think the opposite because you don't. I don't. I wouldn't. Why would? It just seems odd that they would put their name on this if they weren't serious about signing him. And this was just kind of like, okay, let's kind of check the final box type thing. Where they seen they've seen him work out, whether it's been with you know in other throwing sessions with 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 various players in different places around around the United States, the workout at the University of Michigan. Um, so I think 
it's hard to eat. if you're going to put your name on something like that i think it they were pretty very close to thinking we want to bring him in we're going to sign him this was kind of like the final test and if he passed it i think they're going to sign him and he's going to have a legitimate chance to be that backup and mcdaniel's has shown obviously in the patriot system that they you know they game plan for for different players for different teams and so forth it, the, the offense will look obviously much different if he has to play because he and Derek Carr are nowhere near the same player uh, whereas in most cases you think you'd want the backup to look like or at least play in the same style as your starter but I think this coach and this staff is uniquely qualified to deal with that. And I just, seriously, I, I just think that this would be a masterful thing. And who knows? I mean, he'll, he probably won't see the field, even if he get, unless Carr gets hurt. But I, I'm, I would not be shocked if we hear something either later today or tomorrow that he's putting pen to paper and uh, they're signing him. I hope so. I mean, he's a former 49er. He... You know, he took us to the Super Bowl one year with Harbaugh, so it's not a surprise that Harbaugh gave him a shot out there to work out at Michigan. You know, my experiment would be more drastic for the Raiders, by the way. I would sign Michael Michael Vick for a year. Like, Josh McDaniels likes to experiment. Vick can still run. Like, I have no doubt about it that he still has that athleticism, even though he hasn't been in the league for a few years. But I would experiment with that, you know, bring him in as kind of a second or a third quarterback and let him just, you know, take the snaps in those short yardage situations. It would be really fun to just have him run all over the place. I mean, he's still a gifted athlete. He's still a much better athlete than most of the NFL, young NFL players in the league today. Let's throw RG3 into the mix as well. <laughs> he supposedly ran like a 4-4-8 when they were doing uh, 40s uh, for the uh, St. Jude's run, rich, run, rich Eisen. Uh, and I would imagine he can still throw it, keeps himself in really good shape. So if there's teams out there looking for backups, I would imagine, why not RG3? He still has that athletic ability. There's other things, I guess, keeping him from, from the field. I mean, the injuries and so forth. But my God, at his age, running a 4 4 eight, that's, uh, that, that's that's pretty impressive. So, all right, gang, that is going to do it for us this week. We'll be back uh, next time. Might be next week. Might be the following week. We don't know. But we certainly will be back soon enough with some more uh, draft, I guess, by division, our background. And we'll hit on some storylines that are that are hitting the NFL as we go in this offseason. So uh, please hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one that does come out. For Alex, I'm Lou. Ooh.